Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Jordan Graham, the director of the haunting new film, Seder, which is on VOD now. Everyone, please stream it. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you for having Yay. me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Of uh, course. So- but before we do get to Seder and all mm-hmm. of the, the goodness, because I really want to talk about the story behind it, yeah. how did you get introduced to horror? I would say the memory that's coming to me is Child's Play. Mm. That mm. I, I used to when I was – it was in elementary school sometime. I had this one friend of mine. She and I would meet up and go – to my mom's house and well, obviously I lived at my mom's house and uh, <laughs> we'd be under a blanket and, and we'd always rent Child's Play and uh, and all of them, however many there were at that point, maybe three. I feel like that was my introduction. We had a, a local small video store and the, in the back there was this section I remember that was just for horror stuff and out the, the decoration out front was like a, like the cement pillar uh, how do you explain it like an archway that was oh, yeah. really mm-hmm. like sinister looking with gargoyles and i was always mm. afraid to go into that back room <laughs> there to <laughs> to look at the the vhs's you know that's that's funny because like when when i was a kid i remember the horror section at our local video store being kind of off from the from the beaten path and when i talked to a lot of people that that had these video that went to these video stores it was usually like the porn or like the adult movies that were they were cordoned off but for me it was always the horror movies that were in like some other section of the movie rental place 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember a, uh, like a porn section or an adult section. Or something. Yeah. So that is so funny. So remember, t- do you remember Tower Records, RIP? Do yeah. I? Uh, yeah, do either of you remember Tower Records? It was just like like a chain video CD store that just like sold all that usual stuff. I mean, I remember so, the name. I don't know if I had one in, in our town here. We don't have a lot of like small, smaller places where I am. Or maybe I just didn't know where they were when I was a kid. But we had Tower Records and there was a beaded part back there. And I thought that was where the horror movies were. <laughs> they weren't. Be- the, the beaded, the beaded section? To- the beat <laughs> they, they just stopped me they were like um i don't think this is what you think it is i'm like no it's not so that, that was that was fun learning what the beaded curtain was because i was like i also was like oh it's behind the beaded curtain but it's so cool because it looked cool but um yeah well and porn you know porn can be cool anyway and then also in blockbuster where i always went they didn't hide any of that shit it was just like out in the open for me to just ogle and walk around and just be like what horrors do these movies hold interesting <laughs> Yeah, man, that was yeah. a long time ago. I miss those times. I kind of miss those times, kind of. I miss just video. I miss video stores. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. think is like, what I really miss. Yeah. There's a really cool one, actually, in Chicago, which uh, none of us are in Chicago, but it's so cool because they actually have like a video rental membership program and they've got some really cool shit. And I was like, like when I was in Chicago, I never did it because I was dumb, but I wanted to. And now I'm missing the ability to rent movies and bring them back, which is cool. I guess you can do it at the library, though. Yeah, he got online. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, it was. It was. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, just being able to scroll around, and see see what's out there, and yeah, it's a different experience than just like endlessly scrolling through Netflix or something. <laughs> yeah, I have a really like. I I don't know if I should say it. I have like a a little me being a little shit kid in a video store. Ooh. Yeah, I was like 16 i think and i didn't do anything but i was with a group of friends and it was very it was late at night right before the store oh now i remember how it was it was a half a lifetime ago we went to go to the video store but it was right when they closed and they wouldn't let us in so we grabbed a stone trash can that's like 300 pounds and and blocked the door so they couldn't (gasps) so they couldn't get out oh my god (laughs) you were a little shit Yeah, I, I just, I just, when you're talking about video stores, I just remembered that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I've been, I've been, I've been backing. So like, I used to film a lot of stupid, like j- jackass shit when I was younger. And I, I went, and while we were, in, while we were in COVID, I've been wanting to back up everything. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be cool to relive that. And I'm just watching this and it's like, these are all the of like little kids that I hate. And I, I, I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's always the worst watching the videos you made as a kid. And you're like, oh man, I was so cool. And then you watch yeah, them, you're like, no, oh no, like, I was I not. Hate, like, I these... hate those kids. I hate those type of kids. Yeah. Oh, and you were doing jackass videos. So you're like running around your town and like doing stupid shit with your friends. Oh, right? yeah. We would sneak, we'd sneak into Costco and, and, oh, shit. Put, and put like, oh, a, put like a, a camera in the shopping cart and then like jump on their stacks of clothes. And we were so. So oh my dumb. god! <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, that's kind of like with skateboarding. That kind of like uh, I was a uh, heavy into skateboarding, so that's kind of like oh, so I was going to ask if you were heavy into skateboarding. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. My little brother is a skateboarder, um, okay. and he does the same stupid shit, and I laugh because I used to skateboard too, like one of the only girls, and we would do stupid shit like that all the time. It's just like I don't know why it comes yeah. with skateboarding. 
you just kind of jump off you shit just feed and... off of people and <laughs> and <laughs> you really do yeah, but i just that time like i feel like i miss that time and it, like i'm always like living in the past and like nostalgia but then again li- listening to that uh or looking back at that footage I was backing up, it's just kids are so mean and everybody's like calling <laughs> each other names and, and making fun of each other. And it's like, I don't, I don't like that, that time. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing at thinking of you jumping on a pile of clothes at Costco. Um, anyway, back to horror movies. <laughs> yeah. What were some other uh, horror favorites when you were growing up? Horror movie favorites? I don't know about favorites, but stuff that like scared me <laughs> a little bit, like a uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, not, okay. not the first one, and I don't remember them very much past probably the second one. But I remember as they were going on, it was it was traumatizing me more and more. And I have again, I haven't watched them since I was a little kid, but I have this memory of. There was a, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. There's like a mentally challenged guy that gets killed with an axe at the yep. beginning of one. Yeah, that was in a, that was in the, I think the fifth one. So that's where I stopped watching them when I was a kid. Like that, that, just that segment like messed me up. And so I remember that, just that one segment. And I haven't tried to even look back at it yet, actually. So that was that. But um, I think the introduction for me with horror and what I started to really, enjoy the or i don't know if enjoy is a blair witch project i like that <gasps> one, that one got to me and and i used to make like those stick things and hang them up in my dad's girlfriend's house and, <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah. so that was that was that but also i, I got to a place <laughs> where i was i was too afraid to watch horror films like when the descent came out i went with all my all my skateboarding buddies and me they wanted to go and we go and watch it, and I got to the theater, and I couldn't go inside. So they watched it, and I waited outside until oh wow they came out. Yeah, I was really, re- I was really afraid of anything scary and horror and pop outs. Now it's weird. Now like making them, it's the complete opposite. Like I can't find anything that scares me at all. So it's it's rare things that get under my skin, or not even the pop outs. I don't really even like you can predict them so so fast now. Well, so like, when did you start liking horror and like not being as scared? Was it a gradual thing? Or was there like a moment where it kind of clicked in your head? No, well, I just I feel like since I've been making them now, or at least Seder for this long, and then I had a a film that I don't really like that I did before this, (laughs) I just started watching them a lot. And since I'm making them uh, as myself, like, Mm. I'm being able to predict what's going on, because I'm making them. And I know all like, not all, but I know a lot of the tricks. And I predict, I guess that just desensitizes you when you make them yourself. And then I just, yeah. when I when I was making that last film, I was watching every single found footage film I could find. And so that was kind of like my introduction, like duction of like, and starting to like horror was that was 2011, I think, is when I started to really enjoy it. Because even before that, it's kind of like when I was, when I started getting into filmmaking at 13 years old, up until uh, 16, 17, I just wanted to make action movies, right? And then, mm. and then, and I was doing like wire work stuff, like going out in the woods with, with wires and putting them over tree branches and making people fly up in the air. And so I was doing that at like 16 years old. And then, oh, wow. Um, and, doing, and doing car chases and all, 
sword fights and all sorts of stuff like that. You keep sprinkling things in about your childhood that I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> like jackass <laughs> like, stuff, car chases. You were pulling people around trees. Like what yeah, the hell? Well, I mean, That's there's, so there's, cool. there's the there's the skateboarding side, and then there's the filmmaker side. But still, <laughs> that filmmaker side was like I was just having fun making a lot of parodies. That was kind of like the thing that That's my, so cool. my learning. And then when I when I got out of high school, then I became super pretentious and didn't want to. Uh, I only wanted to make dramas, and I thought action movies and horror movies were like beneath me, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was like a period of probably like three years or so, which is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, you know, you have to grow, <laughs> right? <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> and then and then yeah, I about ten years ago or so is when I. S- was making one and then starting to really like them. And then I think it was when True Detective, the first season of True Detective came out yeah. that I, uh, I, I was like horror movies. You can ma- make horror films that are smart and scary without pop outs, which has always been that way. I'm not, I'm just, that's where it just clicked for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, because like I did love the exorcist when I grew up and that's just, but I, I never like was like, Oh, I want to make an exorcist film or anything like that. Uh, yeah. But I just true detective is just what like hit. Also, it brings my heart so much joy that you said found you like you were diving into found footage and yeah, found footage is my favorite thing of all time. So I like when they that, can be done really, really interesting, like in an interesting way, which my film is not at all. But oh, okay, no, don't say that because I have a lot of things to say about how you use found footage in your movie, and it made me oh, no, smile no, from ear to ear. No, no, I'm not talking about Sater. I'm talking about I'm talking about Spectre. My my last one. Oh, Spectre. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I no, with yeah, Sater. No, I'm no. like. No, Seder, I love how <laughs> what I did with Seder with found footage. Oh, we will we get that later. No, I'm talking about <laughs> what I did with my last film. But yeah, when things can be done really well and interesting, like I like the ones where they use the computer screens. And oh, one yes. of my favorite ones is uh, I really like uh, Rec Two. Is I love the second Rec, the sequel, um, more than the first one. I feel like. Oh, okay. Oh, really? I actually haven't seen Rec Two, but I need to. I've heard very good things. But it's been a good probably seven years since i've seen them both so maybe i need to watch them again but i just i love the style of it and it was like this really kind of like fast pace but blair witch to me is like a masterpiece and like i just watched it again which i haven't uh, this halloween i watched it again which i haven't seen it in like four years and i was even more so so impressed because there is there is just not one bit of artificial like camera movements it does it's, it's not like they were mm-hmm. setting up one shot and even with Seder, even though there is found footage in there there's still a couple shots that i could tell like okay like the camera is acting when it shouldn't be mm-hmm. but I, but like i feel like I, I got away with it to a degree because i put actual found footage in there but the blair witch just doesn't have that at all it's just all it just felt so incredibly organic and i don't think i've ever really appreciated that before until this last Halloween. So since since you kind of brought up Seder, let's let's dive in because I am I, I know Mary yeah. Beth is, is like really excited about talking about okay. some of that found <laughs> footage aspect of it. Yeah. Um so before we get to that though, can you tell our listeners what Seder is about? Uh, well, Seder is about an entity that uh wants to claim a family. That's I guess the quick short plot of the film, but I mean I could get into who's Seder is is an entity in my family. We were actually that was like the next question. Actually, it was like this has got a really really interesting production history, and Seder yeah. is more than just a character in a, in the movie, but uh-huh. connection to your life. So, can you talk a little bit about that and where you oh, yeah. were like all that stuff? Yes. 
Oh, it's like I have like it's like how do I want to even start with that? Because because <laughs> uh, my my grandmother was never even supposed to be a part of the film until I started shooting. So that's kind of oh. So like I can get into the process of how I found out about Seder. Which which gets into the history of everything. Yeah, let's. That sounds great. Let's like, there, it's like yeah. it's like a process. So like I I mean I've always known about Seder my entire life, but only as my grandmother's guardian. That's all I've oh. all I've ever really like known. And so with this film, um, I had a completely different story. I wasn't trying to make anything about Seder or anything, and, or even have my grandmother in the film. And so since mm-hmm. I was like on a heavy budget or a heavy budget, sorry, a, a very restricted budget, I couldn't find anything as cool looking as the cabin that I built in the film. So wait, hold on. You built that cabin? Yeah. Yeah. I built it in my mom's backyard in next to the beach. Oh, <laughs> Basically. yeah. It okay. wasn't in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> what? Really? Wow. But building a fucking cabin, just, you know, whatever, just casually building a cabin in my mom's oh, backyard. Well, no, it wasn't casually. It was definitely a two month process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what, like, what history you know, because I've, I've uh, talked about it quite a bit. So I don't know if, like, if, if, if I'm just going in with, with, if you don't know anything, then that's, that's fun. I enjoy that. I know very a little bit. I've read a couple interviews because oh. I really wanted to keep myself cool. in the very dark cool. for All this. Right. So. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I bu- I did build a cabin and I didn't expect it to look as good as, as that. And uh, I needed a, a second location that looked just as cool. And I couldn't find one except for my grandmother's house. And so I was like, oh, we'll just shoot here oh. and I'll do like a quick cameo with my grandmother. And if it works, then great. If not, then whatever but i would be it would be really cool just to get her in like a quick one scene kind of thing to memorialize her in the film and then i go out there with michael he's the one with the really big beard pete he's been my friend since mm-hmm. i was uh, my skateboarder friend for years he's been acting i mean i met him when i was 13 and he was 11 and he's been acting in my stuff ever since i love that i went to him and i'm like okay you're going to we're going to do an improvisational scene with my grandmother you're going to meet her on camera you're going to pretend to be the grandson and i want you to Talk about spirits because that'll get her – that's just something that'll probably get her talking because I know she's a spiritual person. So then he comes out, pretends to be the grandson, and then brings up spirits. And that's when she randomly just decided to share about the voices in her head and how they used to communicate with her through something called automatic writing, which I have never heard about before. It just blows me away that she decided to share this yeah. with me while we were shoot, just shooting. After that, I after that day, I would I went home, looked at the footage, and was asking my family, kind of, oh, what's what is this automatic writings? Like this is kind of really cool. And they and does she have any uh, any available that I can put in the film? And they were all really young during this time. My mom was twelve at that time, so like mm. their their memories a little vague on it. But and she said all the automa- all of her automatic writings were burned years ago. She burned all that stuff. So I'm like, okay, uh, fine. But I uh, have a this I have a very interesting concept now and i want to explore it more and so so i went and did a whole bunch of other improvisational scenes with my grandmother trying to get her talk more about the spirits and the automatic writings but every time you can't tell her what to say Uh, Mm -hmm. you can't you can't predict anything that she's going to say so every time i shot with her i'd have to take like a week-long break to figure out how i'm going to make this all work in the film and Mm -hmm. so that was one of the biggest struggles despite doing the whole thing myself anyways so then we get into post-production 
Seder's not even part of this film yet. So I'm already in post-production and, wow. uh, dem and dementia got really bad for my grandmother. And so we had to put her into a care home and the owner of, of the house that she was in wanted that place back. So we, uh, my grandmother was actually staying there for free. She's been staying there for free for like, uh, 30 years because my grandfather made a deal with the owner that he would do landscaping on the house and his property in exchange of living there. And then when they got too old to do that, he let them stay on there until they pass. So my grandmother's oh, just wow. been wow. just been like hanging out at that house. Anyway, so I clear out all the house and then I find two boxes in her in the back room, you know, at the very end of the film where they're just staring all at the camera. They're all sitting in the back room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm in that back room and I find these two boxes and one of them was hundreds hundreds of pages of her automatic writings so all the ones you see in the oh, film wow. all the ones you see in the film all the faces everything that you see were hers that she uh, wrote 50, 50 years prior so then the other thing that's even more intense is i find the next box is a thousand page journal her documenting every single day with Seder for three months of where oh. she she got she brought him up through a Ouija board until she ended up in a psychiatric hospital at the end of that three months because of it because of her obsession with him and it was uh, so I'm reading through this journal and she writes it as like a story because she wanted to have it published at one point. Whoa! So I'm reading all about these voices and how like Seder was the leader. Like she had a whole bunch of voices come into her head, but they're all like initials. Seder was the only one with a name and he was the leader mm. of all of them. She would get herself into trouble where she would go on. Um, she'd have to go somewhere and. And she didn't have a, a map or anything. So she would allow the voices in her head to tell her where to go. And they would all argue with each other and lead her wow. places where she's not supposed to go. And Seder eventually convinced my grandmother that she was the biblical Eve. She became like really empowered kind of a little bit before that. My grandmother was kind of a stay-at-home mom. My grandfather was in the CIA going off on missions and stuff like that Jeez. so just through reading the journals i feel like my grandmother didn't feel any importance in her life and she was just kind mm. of like just staying at home and so when the ouija board came up and she became eve she then became this like really empowered woman and that's kind of like when her like she was starting to go down like this crazy crazy kind of spiral of mm. like insanity with with him and she fell in love with Seder and started doing something called spiritual love making with him and and it, and it got really like I, I'm like there's things where I will cut myself off on talking about because the end of her spiral it gets pretty paints her in a bad light and I don't want to do that I do yeah. want to I, I want to adapt these journals one day and make a drama and yeah. make a drama out of it a pretentious drama <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the subtitle pretentious drama yeah, except like, the title colon a pretentious drama yeah no but i i would like to adapt those one day but i want to stay in the horror genre for quite a while uh so yeah when i'm ready to to talk about certain things with my grandmother i want to i'll do it through the through the film but yeah so she ended up at the end of these this time with Seder, she uh the all the like her world was like collapsing honor and so she felt like she needed to get this book published and so she this was it they were in tucson arizona and so she got on a plane and flew to la and tried talking to some publisher and i had family members out there and she went to those family members and said my entire family was killed in a car crash 
and they had to call my my grandfather and my grandfather had to fly out and come get her and then she ended up being committed to a psychiatric place after that but uh, Whoa. so that's Holy kind of like shit. yeah so that's kind of like the history of my grandmother i mean there's a lot of other little stuff in there but but so i read this journal and it's like i have a this is a gold mine like i wish i had it before i made the film it would have been a completely different movie at that point but i have the actual person here that's been with Seder and already sharing her experiences with him i want to get her to say as much as she can about him now i need to get Seder into this film and again i'm already in post-production and dementia is starting to get really bad for my grandmother so the first time i met up with her she talked all about him luckily i got almost everything you hear about Seder in the film but like the third or fourth time Seder was basically wiped from her mind and you see that oh, the, wow. ver- the very opening shot of the movie where it's that black and white shot of her face and she's talking about how Seder uh, was in charge of her and her life that was me recording her face for about 40 minutes and only she was only able to say those like three sentences me asking her like, well, who is Seder do you know who Seder is and she couldn't she couldn't even wow. remember anything yeah oh my god so that's kind of that's the backstory on on the story of wow. the film. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you take this huge personal story and make the movie that we have now? Like what, I guess you said that you had a whole other movie plan before she started talking about Seder, right? Yeah. It was just, cause that was, so I shot for 120 days and that was day 10. So that's, I don't even really know how I did it. Like it was, <laughs> like I said, it was week long breaks I was shooting stuff and trying to make it work and then rewriting, a lot of rewriting and figuring out. And I don't even know how to even answer that. It was just, it was just a crazy mental process that was during production. That was the most frustrating aspect of this, of this whole thing was trying to figure out how to get the story. My original story, I couldn't really tell you that either because I wrote it seven years ago and so many things have changed <laughs> since then. And right. I, I can give you some, de- but it's like, for an example, also, I, I've already written a, a script that I finished last year and now I'm on to another one and I have already kind of forgotten details on the last one I just wrote. And that, so seven years ago, so seven, you're right, uh, right. I, cu- I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you exact details, but it was, there was like an alien theme. Uh, the characters, the, when not with my grandmother, so the characters were still kind of doing similar things. They probably had more dialogue, but how like a Pete, the one with the really big beard, mm-hmm. since he his uh, beard is so bushy and he barely opens his mouth, I can redub his his dialogue to say basically whatever I want on that. And then like the radio that's in there, that used to be it was going to be something else being projected from that, but then I made it the automatic writings and wow, yeah, it wow. was a process. Yeah. So I really want to talk about the found footage aspects of this movie mm-hmm. because I first watched this. I texted Terry. I'm like, I think this is like kind of a found footage movie and I cannot believe how cool it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's actually. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Sorry. No, no. You you go. What were you saying? Oh, just I uh, just how that came about was like it's literal found footage, basically. I, uh, right. Yeah. I, I was my mom while I was making this movie. I know I had to do a flashback and I was thinking about shooting it on maybe super eight but i don't i never worked with film before and Mm -hmm. i i don't know i wasn't really feeling it but my my mom got a bunch of hi8 tapes home movies transferred to dvd from costco 
And yeah, I know I'm gonna laugh. Shout out this. Costco, I <laughs> yeah, love it. Out Costco. <laughs> so she got a she got a bunch of those tapes, uh, home movies, and I'm just going through them. I was not looking for anything for the film. I was just like watching them because I haven't, haven't seen these in years. And yeah, then I come across that a birthday, and it's in my grandmother's house, and the house looks exactly the same almost from when I'm shooting. And at that point, it was 25 year old footage when I was looking through that. And what was so great is my my grandmother and my grandfather, the way they're positioned in the in the scene, my grandmother's off to one side and my grandfather's off to the other side. Then I had this whole middle section that was just open for me to create my own scene. So I went out and I bought the same camera. I bought the same Hi8 tapes. I made similar looking cake. I made similar looking presents. And I had my actors. That was the last day of shooting. So I had uh, Michael, the one, Pete, the character Pete, uh, shave mm-hmm. his beard off. And just to make them look a little bit younger. And I, uh, yeah, went over there and shot a scene with the, the high eight camera. And then was in editing. I went and I didn't use the DVDs from Costco. I went and I, I blew them. <laughs> I went and got the original high eight tapes and, and transferred them onto the computer at the highest quality I could. And then I blew them up to 4K. And then, yeah, I was able to edit that 30 year old footage with this scene that I created, which was, I thought, I thought worked really, really well. Wait, what? so you, you interjected. Oh my God. Current film into the older scene. Is yeah, that? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's, there's what? by that time it was, it's 30 or 25 year old at that time. Cause it was five years ago that I shot this. So 25 year footage with new footage uh, and mixed them together. So like, as they're passing the present to one another, <laughs> that's like, a gap of 25 years what (laughs) what the fuck that is so cool oh my god yeah so i thought i thought that was pretty cool and then after playing like playing with that camera and and i thought just that footage was i mean just the high cameras have such a different texture compared to like digital cameras and i really love that quality so i just i kept shooting with it just trying to figure out what else i could sprinkle into into the film with with that footage and then you get like the ending the credits where my grandmother says the perfect string of two minutes of whatever she's talking about but it's it just works so perfectly and then then at the end she just zones off in the credits for like two minutes or however long wow but that but that was new footage yeah that's wild and so i wow that's so cool. Yeah, I think so. I thought I, I thought that was a pretty cool like thing that I was able to <laughs> figure out. Was there yeah. was there any other actual found footage you put in there? Not outside the birthday scene. So that birthday cool. scene, because okay. uh, after I found that birthday party, I did I kept going through the footage and trying to see if there's any other footage of my grandparents in that house, and there is, which is in that scene. It's just even there, even that is like there's a gap of like five years or so because. After the initial birthday scene, then it goes, it shows the mother character in the back room, and then mm-hmm. it goes back to the living room, and you see my grandfather looking up at the crows outside, which was a completely mm-hmm. different year, and then my grandmother in the kitchen closing cabinets or whatever, that's also from a completely different year. Wow. So just trying to mix all that together. Wow. Yeah. Creating a story out of literal found footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, that's that's. Cool. Um, I, I think it's yeah. Wow. That's bonkers. I think I so. Yeah, yeah. And how it just all worked, and it's how it all worked out, and especially something as interesting as my grandmother's story, and having it be 
not like a friend or something. It was my actual grandmother and, and it just randomly kind of like fell on my lap like that while we were making the movie. It's, it's like you couldn't ask for like the better circumstances. That's... It was so much luck on that with that. So, dude, and Seder if... might be watching over you, dude. Oh, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if I didn't even get my budget because like I, I made I had like a, a failed uh, campaign or trying to make a Indiegogo uh, crowdfunding mm-hmm. thing. And my friend offered to uh, give me loan me half the, the budget. So if I made the film any any later, I wouldn't have been able to get this either. It was just all. Like perfect timing. That's wow. amazing. Oh my god! Well, I'm so glad you made this movie because it is absolutely gorgeous. And thank you. I know we could probably talk about it for hours, but I guess we should probably talk about the movie <laughs> that you brought with you today, Jordan. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That. What? But what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about Terminator Two. Terminator Two. Hell yes. yeah, we are. Ten years ago, a machine from the future was sent to kill Sarah Connor. Failed. I'll be back. But this time, there are two. One programmed to destroy, the other to protect. Hasta la vista, baby. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2. Judgment Day. Rated R. Starts Wednesday, July 3rd at a theater. Yes. Yeah. So, Terminator 2. Cyborg. Identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor in... The OG Terminator must now protect her teenage son, John Connor, from a more advanced and powerful cyborg. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the plot that in is, one sentence. That is the plot in one <laughs> sentence. So, okay, Jordan, tell us when you first saw this movie, like what happened, what scene scared you. Give us your horror story with Terminator okay. 2. Well, I was either five or six. And, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, uh, like the first experience i don't i will uh, all the experiences when i was around that age with this movie uh probably all blend together because that's so long ago but the the stuff that traumatized me was when the t1000's hand goes through the milk and the guy's head and the the, Uh, john connor's step parents head and then the then going through the eyeball with that cop like his finger going through the eyeball and i know that giving him a lobotomy type thing yeah, so just mainly those two shots, it, it traumatized me, and but I I was like a, addicted to it, I guess, because I would <laughs> want to, I don't know, dare myself to go and put the tape into the VHS player and watch it and watch the film oh. again, and it was always like I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I love this movie, but I'm going to I'm going to watch this <laughs> thing, and uh, and it was always yeah, it messed me up. With with those those two. So you were five or six when you probably first saw this. How how did you see the movie? Was it was it just randomly on, or was it with your parents? Or no, it had been did... my mom because I know my mom uh, let me watch part of the first one, and she was always okay. mon- monitoring it. And so she must have because my mom would tape all these movies on VHS that were off the TV. Mm-hmm. So it like we didn't we never owned it on VHS. So uh, <laughs> I imagine it was off of like cable. And she <laughs> she taped it on VHS, and yeah, so I had that one VHS copy that I'd probably watch over and over again. Amazing. Yeah. So, okay, Terry, when did you first see this movie? Um, I saw this movie probably like I would I would assume 
it's sort of it's sort of a a, a haze in my mind I, but it was it was probably a year or so after it came out i so like it would have been on vhs so it probably i probably was mm, i would say maybe 11 or 12 when i when i saw it mm-hmm. but i loved the original one uh i love terminator and this movie was sort of i would compare it to my like uh empire uh, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, movie because the the surprise in it was so shocking to me the the fact that so i went into this thinking that it was a typical you know like sequel and that arnold was back to now kill john and so the way the first act is structured i i thought up until the moment when john like runs into the terminator and he's like get down and then he shoots the 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 real villain of the movie I was like, I freaked out. I was like, oh, my God. And then it turns out that that cop that I thought was human because there was human in the first movie isn't a human. In fact, he is a more advanced creature like that just really blew my my, my little mind. And I became incredibly obsessed with this film. I, I wasn't terrified of popping it in, but I definitely wore out my VHS copy of this tape because yeah. I I just I love I think this movie is a perfect action movie. And I just yeah. it like was firing on all cylinders for me in my brain of like, this is what 12, 13, however old I was me wanted in a horror movie. But it really is such a perfect action movie. I, I love action movies. They're not like my go-to first, like first favorite genre, but I, this movie, every scene in this movie, I feel like is amazing. Like so perfectly choreographed. Like I always, the first thing I always think of is that, scene down the canals in LA where he's on the mm. motorcycle and then there's the truck the, the, semi, the cop yeah. the, 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 and it's just like this amazing chase that goes on for a long time it feels like but not like in a bad way and it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger fucking shit up yeah and, and just, it's just... <laughs> how, how, just with the like we were saying with the action how well choreographed you just don't get movies like that I feel like anymore where no. they can keep no. they, can, they, can, they don't need to do a whole bunch of quick cuts they can keep the camera on and the action is actually going going on. It's not green screen. I mean, they do have that. There's this one shot where uh, they're it's with like that rear screen projection, mm-hmm. and you could see them. I mean, that that wasn't really even an action. That was just a regular talking. When uh, John Connor is like, "Oh, can you see? Can you see anything?" And he's like, "I see everything." Uh, so that one had like the rear projection in there. But yeah, the the action. Yeah, it still it blows me away today of how how. Uh, real it is and how well like you just yeah you just don't get that really these days anymore and and even the little details they're like not so much the action but i noticed today you know when john connor goes he calls the one guy a bozo with a yellow shirt do you know what i'm talking about and and it tells arnold schwarzenegger like oh just grab this grab this guy and then he grabs him up so like in the couple scenes before that you can actually see those guys pulling up to the bar and giving each other a handshake and then walking into the bar. And that's just, just, it's just in the, the background. And I just love how it's like, wow. oh, there's just such a little details like that. Yeah. I was thinking about the, also the scene at the, at the, I think it was at the mall when one of them goes through the glass and the guy is just standing there and his camera's on auto. And she's like, it's just these, these little moments that he intersperses through it that gives so much character and so much like, it sets the scene so perfectly, but what I, what I think works really well. And this is, I think what, what really resonated me with the kid is how perfect the first act is set up to make you believe 
that it's a repeat of the first movie. So because Arnold is introduced and he's beating up the bunch of bikers, whereas the T-1000 is introduced and he just punches. I mean, he probably kills him. We don't see. But like from our perspective, he just punches the cop and takes his uniform. And then when when you get this this casual reveal of just what the T-1000 is, where it's like the first mm-hmm. film when they when they when they fight, you expect the the Terminator, his, his skin like flicks off and you see the metal underneath. But then when. When Arnold shoots this Terminator, it's like this giant hole in his stomach that like – or his chest that like closes up. And it's like, what is even happening right now? And then he reconfigures himself after the big epic car chase. And then it's the moment when he – that you talked about really triggering you as a kid or like sticking in your mind as a kid of when John calls his foster parents and we see his mom. And she's like, oh, yeah, honey, you should come home. We're having dinner and stuff like that. And the dad is being a dick. And all of a sudden – Another little moment, she moves the phone to another hand, yeah. and all of a sudden her hand is a sword going through his fucking mouth. Yeah. And it's like that moment is where it's like, oh, shit, this is a completely different entity than than I was expecting. And it's just and it's just it's so gritty and real. And the, the comedy, it's <laughs> it's so deadpanned and not trying to be funny, but you still laugh. And then uh, yeah. the characters aren't trying to act like, uh, like how the new one with the, the dark fate or whatever. I mean, I... I I don't really remember much. Just a trailer of how, and which with with a lot of action movies, this is everybody's trying to act as so cool as they like as cool as mm-hmm. they can, and and I feel like missing just the characters being just normal people and and trying not not so hard to be funny, and the comedy just not in the director's cut. Like I I, I unfortunately watched the director's cut today, and. I don't think I've ever right. seen the director's cut of this. Yeah, one. I, I want it. It's a, that's where they, <laughs> that's where you have they add in ex, expository dialogue that is just, just really horribly written and cheesy, and then they try making things funny that are just over the top. And mm. I definitely the theatrical cut is like masterful. It is masterful, but the director's cut, I definitely. Um, it, 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 it hurts, it hurts the film, it hurts the vibe, the gritty, the, the darkness mm. of it and, and the, how kind of fucked up it is with the, the finger going through somebody's eye or. Right. You know, you, you said something that is just sticking my mind because you said how it seems like action movies, everyone's trying to be cool. And what I really like about this film is how much fun Arnold has in this role where he <laughs> he comes across as cool like when he's first introduced you know it's done it's bad to the bone playing right and he gets yeah. the iconic the iconic sunglasses gets the shotgun but then later on in the film it's almost like we are now taking that image apart where he's like being taught how to how to say things and how mm-hmm. to like be human and it, it's he's he's allowing himself to be silly like when he lifts the guy up from his hair i mean it's like he's just literally doing what a machine would do yeah exactly and and it's not in your face like we are trying to be funny is what i feel like it's just right it's just organically funny and that allows uh, him to be silly yeah like uh-huh. dumb like he's not it but breaks so, that kind of cool so cold face which i love too <laughs> yeah, and even it's... even with the t1000 just no emotion which, he's like a shark. Why, why would they yeah like, why would they have emotion? They're robots. So it's... Well, and I especially love when they're trying to teach him, like, eat me. 
yeah chill out like when he, the way he's like deadpan saying these phrases like, like it's so funny it's like it's a little kid wanting to teach someone like yeah. a curse word like either teaching each other or like a parrot or something like oh what can i get away with and it's just john having a good time teaching him like stupid words and, and it's just, just so funny. really connect to it that's probably why a lot of people cry at the end of it and oh like, yeah it's just you really you connect to the characters that way because they're not super over the top but when you when i was with the director's cut when you're saying teaching him they that director's cut they teach him uh arnold schwarzenegger how to smile and it oh. is oh. it is just oh, so you. like it just it feels like like a slapstick kind of comedy smile in oh there. no i don't like so, that that's what i was gonna say that because i feel like in a lot of these movies where it's like small child and robot friend or like giant friend it's always like that funny moment of like i'm gonna teach you how to say funny words and like i'm gonna teach you how to be a person and it's always played for comedy yeah and here it's mm-hmm. like it's, it's character it's funny building. but it it's exactly it's character building and it's like so dryly funny with the way Schwarzenegger yeah. is just like Mm-mm. it's just like the perfect balance of it being fun and character building but yeah. not like ridiculous and yeah. out of tone not trying to go yeah not trying to go over the top and just be funny for funny's sake like oh we need something yeah funny here instead of just allowing the characters just to naturally be funny instead of just throwing in a, a joke to hope that you're gonna get a laugh yeah exactly yeah, and i i do think it's also tied uh, we were talking about this about it being tied into to character growth and that's the one thing i really loved is there's a scene early on where where john and, and and the terminator are stealing a car and you know he's bursting the window he's like ripping off the panel to like hotwire the car and stuff and john's like oh you know there's these keys right and so then later on when he's stealing are you learning the, yet right <laughs> are you learning yet and there's a yeah. scene later where he steals the cop car and the first thing he does is he's gonna rip it off because that's what he's programmed to do but then he looks up and he yeah uh-huh. pulls it down and it, it's a character beat that's so small and such exactly, a, a, yeah. a subtle moment but yet it's just like you see how much he has grown exactly. from the beginning of the movie yeah and it's subtle. That's what's so great about it is it's just little, little things like that show you the growth that you're talking about. And it's – what's the word I'm looking for? In, endearing. Endearing of the mm-hmm. character. Yeah. So yeah, Endearing is never a word I thought I would use to describe <laughs> Terminator 2. But I would <laughs> – I would kind of use it. I'd be. I, it wouldn't be the first word I would use to describe it, but it would be one of the words. Well, just the just just the growth of the character. <laughs> yeah, <I> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true though. It is a little. It is kind of endearing in a in a surprising action movie kind of way. Mm. I find this movie very um, comforting. Like it, it's a comfort film for yeah. me. It's one that I, yeah. I go back to because I know that it's it's paced so well that it's not going to be boring. And and there's parts that like if you're doing something else, you can like. Go do it, but but it's on the background, and you're always constantly. Yeah, because you've seen it so many attention. times, and yeah. exactly. I, but, when I oh sorry sorry no go ahead. I was gonna say when I was in um, kindergarten, like I my classmates would draw pictures of the Terminator. I remember that, and then in my uh, in our hot tub, I'd always dunk my head <laughs> under the water and put my thumbs up as I would go oh. into the water. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, that's so good. Well. And oh, Terry, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to ask you, Mary Beth, when did you see this movie for the first time? Uh, a couple <laughs> months ago. <laughs> really? Uh huh. Oh, all right. So, Congratulations. Thank you. It was amazing. So, my boyfriend is very into action movies. He he actually has like shown me a lot of action movies. Um, I don't know. It was just like not a thing in my household. 
So he, I had never seen any Terminator movies. And he was like, well, we have to change that. And I said, okay, well, where should we start? And he said, Terminator 2. And I said, perfect. And so all downhill after that. It, <laughs> I was so mad I hadn't seen it earlier. I had so much fun with it. I didn't get as much of a shock out of the reveal that he was a good guy, um, only because I didn't have like that expectation. I've actually, right. never, I still haven't seen the first Terminator. Um, whoops. But um, that's a horror film. Uh, yeah, so, it's yeah. a slasher. Yeah, I know. So exactly. See, that's the thing. It was so funny because Steve and I were talking about that and how like it's similar to Alien, where it's like the first movie mm-hmm. is a horror movie and the yeah. second one is like yep. a fun action situation. Yep. Both directed by James Cameron. Yep. Yeah. Well, not Alien, but yes, Aliens, yes. Well, yeah, sorry, the se- the sequels. Yeah, the sequel, yeah. But I was specifically really struck by Sarah Connor. One, because I think she's hot and could kill mm. me. And two, <laughs> well, there's actually three things. Two, she's the best action hero in my mind. She should be like, she is the best action hero. And three, she's a really interesting mother figure. Because yeah. a, a lot of yeah. the time in action movies, it's usually a guy. Who is in, who is the action the action hero and he is not usually a dad, and here we have Sarah Connor who is a mother, but she is in in scare quotes here an unfit mother because they think she's crazy and have put her into this mental institution when her son is in foster care, but in a way she is trying to protect her son with the things that they're saying are making her crazy and it's just an interesting portrayal of motherhood as flawed but not bad when she gets when she you know finally reunites with john and they're kind of ready to start their fight she still is very emotionally distant from him but she's still trying to be a good mom in her way and i think that's a really interesting lens of motherhood in an action movie with an action hero who is a good who like thinks that she's doing her best and i just her character is so fascinating Mm -hmm. In that one, then the dark fate, then it's, I mean, again, I don't remember much. I I might even shut it off, but it was definitely like, then it gets into, I'm the cool person. Cool, like, just trying way too hard to be cool. And I feel like that character is completely lost. The most recent one, it felt like that. Like, oh, she's just here because everyone knows who she is. Yeah, and uh-huh. then, but I didn't see it, obviously, so I can't really say. But I know that it just seemed to be very exciting that she was making a cameo appearance, at least in the trailer. Yeah. But no, like this character. one, but, she was yeah. fucking awesome. Like yes. she was just yeah, like really, badass. Really yeah. No, I well, agree. especially it, it's it's another reversal of expectations too, because in the first movie, she's definitely like the victim. She's the one that's being chased by the Terminator. She has this man that's there to protect her, and so the way that that James Cameron uses that expectation, and then the first time we're introduced to to this new Sarah Connor, she is in a she's in a mental institution, but she is doing pull-ups and her back Uh is ripped and she is like strong and she is fucking prepared (laughs) for whatever shit is going to come her way i embarrassed myself with the sound i made when i first saw that scene with her back (laughs) it's like hello um but terry something i wanted to go back to was one thing you talked about how like the pacing there are at least five places where I thought this movie was ending and not a bad way, but like there's so many big set pieces that yeah. I was like, oh, this has to be the last piece. Oh, this has to be the last piece. And I was like, it just keeps going. And it, but in a good way, I mean that like, and I, I thought that today too, when I was watching, I just right? thought that today too. It's like, wow, this, this could have ended right now. And I would have been happy. And 
And right? just kept going. Like, so, yeah. escaping the mental institution and there's the T-1000 and that's a whole fucking crazy thing when he walks through the bars. With a little funny moment, by the way, of the gun getting stuck in the bars. Like, yeah. it's another little detail that it's like, I love that. Because it could have yeah. just easily have walked through and no, no one would have questioned mm-hmm. it. But it like, it's just this, that little moment. Yeah. Right? And then there's, they break into the scientist's house. Right? That whole scene. That whole scene. That whole scene is crazy. And then... It, they go and they break into cyber <laughs> like it just action blowing up action like constantly and it's amazing like james cameron was like now y'all don't want like an exposition dump about terminator you just want to see shit explode <laughs> well it's which is good because like i said with the director's cut they do a, yeah they have a couple scenes with uh um who's the dude that uh created that they went to go they wanted to go kill sarah connor wanted to go kill dr dyson dyson <laughs> unlike the vacuum like he, he has a huge exposition scene that they cut out where he's like like this is my baby this is what i've worked on uh my entire life and but and then the then the mom or the wife is like well like you have other babies here and you should take oh. them to water water world and oh, like no. and and your work your work doesn't love you as much as we do and it's just like dude oh, what, no. what what is that uh, yeah. <laughs> uh so but again that's not in the theatrical for a good reason. But I, I do think that maybe the reason why he, he originally wanted that in there is because one of the things that I picked up this last time watching it is how that scene in particular where she is on the hunt and she's going to, to kill him is sort of like it's it becomes she becomes the Terminator in her own movie where she is basically doing yeah, the same mm-hmm. thing that the Terminator comes back do, except in her case, she's doing it to, to save the future. And it's when the kid throws himself in front of the father yeah. on the ground that she like yeah. is triggering this, this thought that like, no, this is just a man. Like I am with, with, with John. And it's such a, it's such a, a, a subtle moment. Cause like you also mm-hmm. get it before that with, with the kid, the kid is introduced. Um, Dyson's kid is introduced with an RC car and he's controlling yeah. it. And it brings mm-hmm. to mind the sort of like way that the John is with the Terminator. Like he has this robotic toy. And so they're, they're bringing mm-hmm. these really subtle things that you can completely ignore or you could like really dig into. And I like that it, it's subtle, but I, I have a feeling that that's probably why they included some of that extra stuff to really hang home that part. But I'm so glad yeah. they didn't make it into the theatrical yeah. because I think it was just this is more enough. Like connecting or connecting to this guy that I couldn't connect to with that. I connected to him way more with, without that scene. Uh, well, it's horrific. Yeah. It's a and horrific scene. The, and his death at the end is at the very end. It's just like, I remember that also as a kid, I felt so bad for him. Yeah. And, Where he's just basically like holding on and having that shallow breath. And it's like, you're just waiting for that yeah. last uh-huh. breath. To, yes. Yeah. I'm, that scene has, has lingered in my mind since I saw it as a kid that you're yeah. absolutely correct. But I never got like what you were saying with the twist at the beginning. I, I was too young to to even know what plots and characters were then. <laughs> I was just watching something scary. Right. Or, uh, so, and then I'm just always known as that the Terminator was good in that movie that I didn't even really realize that there is a tw- that twist there. Mm-hmm. That's till right now. So you said something. It's like, oh yeah, that would totally make sense that you don't know going in. The later advertising for the movie ended up, you know, really leaning into that. But when it was first being advertised, and I mean, especially when, when you're, you know, a kid in the late early 90s, late 80s, you don't, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of television and my parents never had cable. So like, I never, 
I, television to me was not something that I that I watched, so I never really got to see a lot of trailers growing up as a, as a kid because I didn't mm-hmm. watch a whole lot of television and the internet yeah. didn't exist. So for me, it was just I had watched The Terminator so many times because it was yeah. one of the slasher films that my parents let me watch. And so for me, that was like such a huge, a huge moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. I, I My memory with that is not as just watching it. Yeah. Just watching an action movie. As a kid, not knowing really <laughs> any better. But if I ever did an action movie, that would be a major influence. That's for sure. Oh, uh, the, uh, the way this movie has pretty much like influenced every action movie that has come yeah. since then is kind of like you rewatch this now. And it's just it's it's silly how how much movies are still trying to replicate this movie's success. And I don't think they I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't think a lot of them ever do, because when I was watching it this time, what really stuck out to me was that the action really felt like it was supporting the plot where it was Mm -hmm. like it was always like a a means to get to the next plot scene vice the other vice a lot lot of ways that action movies are made where it's like plot is leading into the action how how are we going to create this next action scene so we need to have plot to to lead into that so we have this big other explosion all of the the car chases of this are a way to get from one yeah Uh plot heavy thing to another plot heavy thing and even the end with with the the climax it's an it's leading to that emotional moment where they finally destroy everything and the Terminator has to go. Like everything is building to these individual moments as opposed to the moments building to the action sequences. And I just, and I, it, that, that is completely true. And I also feel just maybe you just can't connect to the characters like yeah. you want. And I have, because I heard they're making a, another Terminator that's now going to be a horror movie. And I imagine like the execs are just going to be like, Okay, so what makes a good horror movie? We need to have this amount of deaths <laughs> and this, and we have to have a pop out here. And it's like, we well, should probably. Like, think about the characters more. And- well, and I always forget that James Cameron didn't do anything, did, did some other stuff besides the Titanic, because Titanic was one of my favorite movies growing up. And when people were like, oh, yeah, James Cameron also did Aliens and Terminator movies. I'm like, that couldn't be the same guy who did Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that, he, I mean, he's amazing, amazing. Like the true, what is it, True Lies? True Lies, Abyss. Uh, yeah. Abyss. yeah. Oh, like, man. he has yeah. made an avatar. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Avatar, but that's just me. Yeah, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of with you. I was when it first came out. Oh, but, uh, I love it yeah. still. I mean, I haven't watched it in a few years, but I just, I, I really, I really I haven't seen it. it in like five years, but yeah, I, I uh, uh, <laughs> it was a technical achievement, that's for sure. Yes, and, I can agree with that. But well, actually, what's really random, because you know how people compare that to Fern Gully. And uh, yeah. when you were, when you're asking like, what film should I bring that's, that scared me as a child? The other one that I was thinking of was... The Fern Gully with the the, the swamp th- that that oil oh, bad guy yeah. uh, that that thing yes. messed me up too when I was younger and I haven't seen that in probably fifteen years twenty years so I can't comment on it now because I didn't rewatch it but, I uh, <laughs> for the longest time and I probably could have given a moment I knew the entire bat rap that that bat did shut in that the movie. fuck <laughs> up I used are you to serious rap it all the time as a kid my name is batty and then i can't remember where it goes from there but like that is what i remember now like i could even remember that he even sang i just remember what it looked like and how that i was gonna say i cannot remember that yep fern gully he like he goes into this like okay that's what i thought robin williams is the bat right Yep. Yo, the name is Batty. The logic is erratic. Potato in oh, a jacket. Oh. Toys in the attic. I rock it and ramble. My brain is scrambled. Yep. That ooh, <laughs> That just brought me back. <laughs> Thank you That's for funny. rapping that. 
I really appreciate yeah. that. You're very, you're very welcome. I... <laughs> I'm glad that we've gone from Terminator 2 to rapping <laughs> from Fern Gully. I mean, it's Just, very yeah. good. Uh, man, I thought I had another comment on one of your with the Terminator, but I or with James Cameron maybe. Oh, just talking about like deleted scenes, and you're saying Titanic. Have you ever seen the uh, the alternate ending of Titanic at all? There's an alternate the ending. Which the one when one she dies? When she dies? When she uh, when she doesn't throw the the diamond in the the water. Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. It's, she does die. It, like, but, yeah. No, no, she doesn't drop it in and then she gives it to Bill Paxton. Wait, just let me hold it in my hand, please. Just once. Gives, it to, gives him the diamond and then he, uh, he laughs up into the sky and it's this big, like, cackling laugh and... goes to one of the the girl over there and asks her to dance and it's so incredibly cringy yeah. it's so cringy it's like james cameron is both genius and cheese ball it but i think like. he did that on purpose just i think i read somewhere that he did that on purpose just to show the producers like we're not doing this here's here's this uh, and they're okay. like oh okay well this is crap we're not gonna so i feel like that's probably what fair did. yeah fair enough we haven't talked about sarah connor's dream Oh my god! Yes. Oh, oh my god! Yeah. Totally. That was okay. one of my first one of my first parodies because I told you I was doing parodies <laughs> growing up. So uh, now try mixing Jay and Silent Bob with with that explosion. <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> while me, while I'm being eleven, uh, while my character and Michael. So basically, Michael, the one with the big beard, he's eleven years old, being Jay, and I am. Me, thirteen years old, being Silent Bob, but I'm we're, but we're aliens. We're not Jane Silent Bob. We are two aliens, basically based off those characters, trying to rule the world or try to destroy the world. We end up blowing it up at the end, and the end shot was that explosion. The Sarakonis tree. Oh my god! <laughs> did you like? Did, did you like splice it in there? Yeah, yeah. I recorded. <laughs> I, I, t- I took. I took the camera and I. I filmed the the TV, so you see all like the CTR like lines that the old TVs have. Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> that is. So- I love it. You just like took it right out, so you're like, now nah, I'm just gonna take it completely. Like we're just gonna oh, yeah, do yeah, yeah. The, like oh, yeah, film the yeah. TV screen. I mean, that was the first year I decided I wanted to get into the films and stuff. So uh, do you still have any of these? Like, oh yeah, you can actually find that one online somewhere. <gasps> uh, oh my god! And, yeah, and it's called like a because also I I think it was. Com- Lamb, where they had Prometheus and Bob. I don't, uh, or uh, <gasps> it was on Nickelodeon oh, where it was the caveman. Yes, I know. Yes, oh, so I can't it was remember. like a claymation thing. So that was the name of. We called it Prometheus and Bob, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so many different like parodies. But again, that was like the second time I picked up a camera, and it's just nothing but eleven-year-olds swearing nonstop, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's very ridiculous. I should be bringing wow. it up and yes, a lot of people it, looking for that. Confirmed. <laughs> Prometheus and Bob were in fact in Kablam. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the dream. Anyway, sorry. This... Oh, yeah, the dream. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, I love it because I'm just imagining that whole scenario yeah. with this horrific dream, like out of context, <laughs> at the end of your Jay and Silent Bob <laughs> alien comedy. 
And I was I was hoping it was going to be a story about how you guys blew shit up, but this might be even better that you just filmed the screen. Well, we were just blown, well, we were we we had a we had a bottle rocket. So every every time we would every time we would light a, blo- a bottle rocket, it would explode. Uh, the like California, Washington D.C., uh, Nevada, and then it was the whole world. The last bottle rocket, but well, actually, what happened? No, no, what happened was it? Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's, that's phenomenal it's it's really stupid it's <laughs> but, so good but also like this was the part that freaked me out i think oh, me too yeah like oh, yeah. so like it's so terrifying and just so well done oh my god still, yeah exactly I think the words. it's just yes exactly like, it holds up pretty with well her, with her arms her bony arms blasting out of there at the end that yes. last bit Jeez, that was so crazy yeah, yeah, it's really good. I think it's so well done. I'm, I'm curious if he filmed it with like models because yeah, some of the buildings sure now miniatures. looking back, they kind of look like models. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. I'm like 99% positive it was. It was yeah, miniatures like that. Yeah, yeah. they built the whole street. I think I have like a behind the scenes image in my head right now. So of what it looks like. So I think. Well, and it's just like it's so sad because obviously like she wakes up and she's like trying to be a good mom and is just freaking out at all these kids like being happy on a playground and she's just beating the fence and it's just such an interesting like indicative dream about where she is as a mother and how where she is as a protector and it's just like the kids and the bright light and everyone just falls over and it's just so gut-wrenching it's scary like because you could almost see that happening i think i i'm not positive but i think i have been really dumb these all these years because she's looking at sarah connor from uh, mm-hmm. the first movie and i don't even think i've ever noticed that was sarah connor in that flashback i think i just totally oh. i think it just yeah. totally glossed over me uh and today i'm like wait a minute that's her how have i never seen that before like i know that image i know her looking over at the fence being shaken but uh I don't think I ever made the connection that, that was actually her looking at herself. And that's why it's so poignant to me because it's it's this hardened and kind of in some way soul not soulless but like she's definitely seen some shit and she's looking back yeah. at her younger self when John is a little kid on the playground and she is like trying to warn herself like no it was it, it's sort of like that's that idea of you don't know what's coming your way and I'm trying to warn you, but I can't. And it also kind of pulls into the whole way that no one believes her about what is going to happen. And that sort of anxiety dream of like, no one is listening to me. No one is, is, is understanding that the bomb is like literally a few years away and it's going to destroy everything. It's that idea that kind of ties back into the, the motherhood that you're talking about, Mary Beth, where I would also suggest that this movie is kind of about, imperfect parents in general because there's mm-hmm. the there's the scene where she is watching John interact with the terminator and she is talking about how the terminator would never stop it would never leave him it would never get drunk and hit him it would always be there and it would die for him basically and she says of all the fathers he's the only one that would ever measured up in a machine world it was the sanest choice and it's this really it, it kind of puts the the Terminator in the light of like a, a father figure for a character that other than his kind of dickish foster parents never seemed to have had one. And it, 
when you compare that with this sort of, you were talking earlier, Mary Beth, with the kind of imperfect mother, it sort of creates mm-hmm. this imperfect family unit. Oh, yeah. It's it's weird. It's the only time it ever really talks about that and makes that connection. But I do think there's something there. I, I, I mean, I unpopular opinion, probably. But uh, watching that today, I thought the that voiceover was unnecessary, almost. It was. I thought that, like, her this the way it was shot and her looking at like the music like dro- droning out and and her watching them doing the high fives like i i got that that yeah, there the was this father is, thing yeah yeah the image is, is doing enough that we don't need the the voice but yeah yeah but i'm not hating on it like it's it still works <laughs> very well yeah. but yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then my my last my last comment is and it's a question what do you think after these events happened to Dr. Silberman? The Well, he goes that's the guy that goes on to Terminator 3, right? Does he go on to Terminator 3? I haven't seen yeah. Terminator 3 yeah. in so many years. I haven't seen that years. in years, but I do remember him at like the there is when Arnold Schwarzenegger holds a a, a coffin and I'm pretty sure it was like at like a funeral thing. God, I need to watch that again now. Uh, but I know the doctor was there. During okay. That. I just had this this image after watching this movie because he after the the scene at the the mental institution, he's like written out of the out of the story. But I'm just like, whatever would happen to him? Like he just had like a crisis of faith where the person that he thought yeah. was insane is actually telling the truth, and now he has no way of of refuting that. Does yeah. he go on to become like a self help guru? Like what? What does this guy do? <laughs> who has had his like life well, or maybe completely he just, rocked? He just doesn't want to admit admit it and then just have a false. Continues reality. being a, a horrible but, person. But also with that exact same thing that you're kind of saying is after the end, the end of the movie when when Arnold Schwarzenegger does himself in there. The, What's going to happen with John Connor? Like, there's people after yep. him. Like, yep. their name, like, they're, they're constantly saying, like, those are the people at the mall. They just blew up a, that building. Yep. Like, they're, I don't see them going very far without getting captured. They've shot at cops. Yeah. They're with the big guy that's using a minigun to mow yeah. down all the cop yeah. cars, which was another iconic scene and the helicopter, the chase that followed. And this is all in scene. one, this is all in like one day, right? Right. Like whole, so, like, they cause a lot of destruction. I don't think. Like they're just gonna go walk off into the sunset. No. And be, be, be good. So, yeah, yeah. So, Terry, how many Asala Vista babies out of five do you give Terminator Two? Terminator Two, in my opinion, is a quintessential action film in a career full of iconic movies. Uh, I think James Cameron's career, if we're not including, uh. Piranha 2, The Spawning, which (laughs) he doesn't include Uh, because he was kind of fired after two weeks of filming. And it was basically a way of having this uh, this other the producer sort of like film with an American director attached. It's a a whole long convoluted story. So in technically, that was not his first film. So if we're going to exclude that one, which I think he'd be happy if we did. um, (laughs) I it, it's hard to to look at at his track record as anything other than iconic, and yet this film, to me, is like the moment where everything. This one and Aliens, in a, in a way, are like the two films mm-hmm. that I think when I think James Cameron, I think of Terminator Two, and I think of Aliens. I, when you look at that sort of streak that he had from directing Terminator, directing Aliens, directing Terminator Two, directing True Lies, that is 
and, and and the abyss that is like quite a little small decade ish of, of filmmaking that is it's hard to to not account besides piranha he doesn't have a bad film in his no. in his resume like and i mean even like the one that we're i mean we're kind of you know mixed on maybe avatar i mean it's like doesn't the matter second, still yeah does yeah that doesn't and matter. it's like, the yeah. second most highest grossing movie ever exactly. made and it's it still, was it's still the first until yeah. Yeah, and it was the first until uh, the the last Avengers movie. So I, this is his career is amazing. This movie is amazing. I have to give it five Hasta La Vista babies out of five. I think this is the perfect mix of sci-fi, action, horror, and plot. I love this movie. What about you, Mary Beth? I agree. This, despite me seeing it later on in my life. This is an action movie that I adore. Um, again, I said I'm not a huge action movie person, but this is absolutely stunning. Every moment is iconic. The performances are iconic. It is just like it hits everything you want in an action movie and no action movie I think will ever unfortunately hold up a candle to it. Um, so Jordan, you have the final word. What is your how many hasta la vistas out of babies out of five do you give Terminator I, 2? I would give theatrical cut. A five out of five. I'd give director's cut a three point five out of five. Also, the okay. babies. Very good. Yes. yes. Perfect. Because I watched. <laughs> that's what I watched today was director's cut. I, I wouldn't be even talking about it if I that wasn't what I was watching today. So right. Yeah. It's so weird though because like I I do think the director's cut of Aliens is a much better movie than than the the theatrical cut and yet mm-hmm. here we have the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it killed. It definitely was. It made me laugh a few times. The wet laughing that I don't want to be laughing because it was just they had some uh, cheese. Like there's like a flashback of Sarah Connor running out of the the mental institution, and it was all or not a flashback, like like new footage of it, but it was a, a dream, and it was just like all in slow motion and her yelling out, and it just it was it was really a it just it ruins it ruins the vibe of yeah. such an such yeah. a, like a masterpiece of a movie. Mm. So. That is a shame. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, Jordan, for joining us to yes. talk about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? The only social media thing that I'm on really is uh, my Instagram. So I ha- I'm at Jordan Graham Film on there. And then you can watch the movie on iTunes and and Apple TV and Microsoft and a bunch of other streaming places. It'll go on another pretty big streaming place in a couple months but i can't say where yet and it's just released in the uk today and they actually they get a uh i mean streaming today but uh next next week they get a physical physical media so we're still working out the physical media in the united states but i was gonna say when can i buy the blu-ray i would like yeah. it immediately <laughs> we're, we're in my home they're working the sales agents are working on that so awesome. oh my gosh yeah i Yay, think I think, oh, I think 1091 i did i did hear that 1091 will be releasing a dvd on de- like uh, as demand comes in for it uh but as far as uh like the blu-ray and all that the sales agents are they're working on that so Hopefully, Yay. hopefully within like the year, I would imagine. Oh so. my god, yes. yes. Um, I'm not above ordering things from the UK. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Terminator Two? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. 
I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.